Welcome back to the Knit British Podcast, the podcast that explores all the connections of Britishness in wool, fibre and knitting. On this journey, meeting all of the people involved from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. Knit British, love local wool. Hello and welcome into episode 108 of the Knit British podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm very glad to be bringing you August's episode. This episode, we're deep diving into all things Southdown wool and Southdown yarn and also South Downs yarns, the business belonging to Louise Spong, uh, who is my guest on today's show and she's based in the South Downs, two words, of England and she makes yarns from her local South Down, one word, sheep. (laughs) Louise and I talk about why she wanted to start her business, making single flock, single breed yarns and also naturally dyeing those yarns, uh, how she works with At the moment, three distinct flocks to create three separate flock yarns. Uh, We talk about the Southdown breed and some of the issues that some of our wool exploration uh, participants this month may have encountered, like finding a good source for the wool uh, in yarn form. We also talk about the importance of the entire journey from sheep to yarn to us and beyond, actually, and how we are an important proponent in that journey. Uh, We also talk about slow and actually the understanding of slow and how that's been slightly made trendy. Uh, to mean perhaps craft when it actually means a heck of a lot, particularly when you are a one-person business. After that, we will have our wool exploration and look at the breed in yarn form. Quickly, before all of that, I just wanted to say Thank you very much for your feedback from episode 107. Uh, And don't forget that the 31st of August is the cast-off date for the Nature Shades Along. I am hoping that the blog post I promised you last episode with details of some of the prizes will be up by the time you are listening to this and certainly will be handy if you need a carrot on a stick for getting finished up. There will also be, in addition to those mentioned on the blog, prizes from the KB Prize Cupboard too. But at the moment, the KB Prize Cupboard is packed up in boxes ahead of our move. So um, those will be an added bonus. Uh, Do remember uh, that I'm not even going to be contemplating drawing those prizes until later in September um, because house move and because conferences and because travel um, but to be eligible for a prize you must get your finished object a picture of it up in the Knit British Ravelry group um, 
at ele- by 11.59pm UK time on the 31st of August. And it doesn't have to be blocked. It just has to be cast off and we need to see it. And um, everyone who gets their pictures up by then will be in the running for the random prize draw. Admin over. Let's get on with the chat with Louise Spong and I. And it really was wonderful to meet Louise. Um, We started this recording the way all good encounters should be begun uh, with the promise of a second meetup and interview um, which was a really really lovely way uh, to to have our first conversation. Um, I make apologies and hat tips uh, to Tipsy Knits as we enjoy beer in this episode um, uh, which is part of why what we discuss um, for our next meetup, as you'll hear. We met in Winchester, uh, so we make mention of the In The Loop conference that we were at and touch on Ingen Klepp's talk on, on Norwegian wool. That's just a bit of backstory because um, I haven't really edited this too much. And, of course, halfway through, our peace was shattered by someone playing a video game in a nearby room I have done what I can to lessen the kapows and kerfunks uh, and things like that. Uh, but it's still obvious in places. Again, it would be knit British with a bit of background noise, would it? So without further ado, here is myself and Louise Spong of South Downs Yarns. Cheese a beverage. But this one is a an IPA and this one is a lager. But it looks like it's a USA lager and this one yeah. is a London. Let's go. I'll go. Can I take yes. this one? Yes. Cheers. Chin chin. We should have had a little beer and wool tasting. I should have bought some South Down beer. We've got some great brewers. Oh going. my goodness. Well that that's what we need to do, do next. Time. Oh yes. And then we'll, yes, and then we'll have some South Down Yarns. And you'll have to come and we'll go and sit in a field with cheese and have South Down beer too. Yes, I love that idea. Do they have South Down cheese? Because then that would be even better. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's really difficult to get, ironically, um, but there's a little place we go camping and for some bizarre reason they have Sussex Charmer, is it maybe? I think it's called Sussex Charmer, which I think is a bit, you know. Well, I'll be the judge of whether it's charming or not, but, but it is actually really good cheese. <laughs> love that. And I've always said that would make a great festival. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it'd be amazing. What I don't understand is why there aren't more beer providers at yarn festivals. Because most of us There's like real beer. The there is, definitely. The whole fe- festival Sen- of food and... Sensoriness. Yes. Yeah. But I love South Down beer, South Down rules, South Down cheese. Yeah. What else could be sample? Bread. Yeah. There we yeah. go. Bread, yeah. cheese, beer. Yeah. All <laughs> staples. We're sorted. That's almost like how you end an interview with what you're going to do next. We so it's quite it. nice that we've made a plan for the next one. I love that. I love that. Um, I have wanted to talk to you for ages because we've been corresponding for ages. I'm much better on paper or email <laughs> so than I am say. in real person. So you say. I, I always want to try and talk to as many people who are involved with making wool and really are champions and you are a champion you're you're such a champion for south down we'll get to talking about 
how rule definitely not something that is static. And I re- and that's something that Seth Down Yarns is Seth Down, sorry. Now let's get let me get this right. Because I keep I keep slipping up and because of rule exploration it's even worse. Seth Downs yarn. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's complicated because the sheep is South Down, mm-hmm. one word, without the S on the end. Yeah. And the South Downs are two separate words yeah. and they are a place. But the South Down sheep actually was named after the geographic location. Yeah. So it does get confusing it for is people. Con- <laughs> it is confusing. Do you feel like, Carol, like with me and Nick British, we'll do two words. I'm like, oh, it's one word. And you're like, no, it's, it's two words. I'm just amazed <laughs> that anybody's <laughs> ever said oh, South Down wool. Like, Don't worry, just, just, just try some. Come on, come on try on. it. So let's start a little bit yes. about, um, about you and your background and... How you came into this woolly world? I love that question, actually. How did you come into this woolly world? And I guess I kind of stumbled and tripped into it, if I'm honest. Um, the short answer is socks. It should be, shouldn't it, really? Yeah. Um, the long answer is um, I found myself living in New York in my 30s, displaced from my native Sussex, um, um, I didn't want to go, but then I didn't want to leave, (laughs) as is so often the case with these things. I was fortunate to be out there because my husband had a job out there, and um, I couldn't work because they wouldn't give me a visa. What a shame. Oh, no. (laughs) Terrible. What did you do? (laughs) Well, bizarrely, in those days, there was no smartphone technology, but there were blogs, Mm -hmm. and I started reading about um, knitting socks. And I thought, if only I could knit a sock, which seemed, before I learnt, some amazingly complicated and ridiculous thing to achieve. How am I going to do that? But I thought, if I can do that, I can transform myself from a non-knitter into a knitting goddess overnight. (laughs) Didn't work out, (laughs) clearly. (laughs) But I do, I can knit socks. So that's kind of... How I got into knitting, because although um, my mum knitted and my grannies knitted, they never knitted around me. It no. wasn't something that they did in front of me, and it wasn't something that they did with me. So I didn't really... I, it, knitted garments were in my life, but uh, I, I didn't learn to knit at home. So I had this time on my hands, and I'd always been interested in textiles and and wool. I've been around wool all my life in terms of walking the downs. Mm. So I was fortunate that there were loads of local yarn stores um, in my neighbourhood. And one day the class schedule went up and it said, learn to knit socks. So I did. Um, I signed up and I learned to knit socks. Because I kind of knew how to knit and purl, it wasn't like I didn't know how to do that. I just I couldn't remember how to cast on. I mean, I had to have help with all of that stuff. Um, and in those days, I was seduced with sort of self-striping yarn. Mm-hmm. And I still love a self-striping yeah. yarn. But I was kind of just obsessed with doing that. And, and, and then that obsession gradually led me to other things, like all obsessions do. And then um, we went up to Rhinebeck. 
lived the dream. <laughs> Did you know how big Rhinebeck was then? I hadn't appreciated it, no. Mm. I just, I'd always gone to my local sheep fair and I just thought it was going to be a little local <laughs> event. Hoorah, how long I was. <laughs> and it was just really inspiring and lovely. And every what, what I couldn't get over was at my local sheep fair, which has been going forever, no one is really knitting there. There were like the odd stall where maybe somebody had done some hand spinning and they'd already knitted up a garment. Yeah. But it was all about the sheep and the selling of the, the sheep. Agriculture. Yeah, and the agricultural side. Whereas Rhinebeck is this huge fusion of both of those things. And for me, it felt like such a homecoming, bringing those two ends of the spectrum together, a real bridge, if you like. Yeah. And so that's when I started to think a little bit more about my own native wool. And I was going backwards and forwards, back home to visit family. Um, and then when we moved back home and settled back home in 2008, I, um, I started to look for Southdown wool for sale and I couldn't find any. And then eventually I found Blackie Yarns, mm-hmm. had their um, Southdown DK, which I have a ball of for you to have a feel. <laughs> I still have the original ball I purchased just wow. to see what it was like. And I loved it. But I kind of thought, well, I still don't know which flock it's come from and which Southdowns, where, how, when. And, and so I suppose I started asking around and people kept saying to me that I was just wasting my time. <sighs> I know. Heartbreaking. I, I think we've come a long way since then, but at the time it was heartbreaking. It was 2008. That's 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot has, has changed, mm-hmm. hasn't it? And I think the realisation took about three years for it to dawn on me that if I wanted to knit with my local wool, I had to stop looking to others to provide it, and I was going to just have to do it myself. But I had absolutely no idea (laughs) I was going to do that. (laughs) But did you you know the right kind of people? Was that... No. No? Was it just... (laughs) Well, what was the process? Okay, so um, my initial process was I just carried on relentlessly going to shows and country fairs, feeling, touching, talking to people. Um, I joined my local guild of weavers, spinners and dyers to see if anybody had any experience of um, spinning or knitting with local fleeces. Some did. Most of them were buying it through um, uh, commercial producers, which was fine, but I I wanted to try something local. There were a couple of people selling the odd fleece here and there, but most people had already spun it and used it, so it wasn't it wasn't available for me to try in its raw state. And then I suppose I was lucky because at around that time, the South Downs National Park was becoming to be was coming to be talked about as an entity again. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at their website one day, and I was I guess I was stalking the trustees in a way, <laughs> and I thought, how can they have anyone on the board that isn't actually a farmer when so much of the South Downs is farmland mm-hmm. yeah so um, and then I saw this little name David Burden and there was no address there was no phone number or email it was just an address so I thought I'm just going to write him a letter and literally the day after I had this phone call and this man was just saying I've got your letter you've got to come and see the sheep <gasps> That was like the the ding ding moment, like all that sort of immersing yourself in in the you know just do do what you can, find little bits here and there. That was like the 
And I guess sometimes you have to give yourself over to to finding that person. Yeah. And it doesn't come naturally sometimes, does it? You have no. to go down. I mean, it, all of this, I'm saying that in like two minutes, but all of this took, well, I started in 2008 and I didn't get to meet David until 2011. Wow. So it took a long yeah. time. And I think that's something that people maybe don't really understand is that, you know, we always say we need more of our people and we need more of this and we need more of that. But actually, it's finding the connect, right connections and the right fit sometimes for the person that, that can then yeah. help you get to the next to the next stage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I don't want to skip ahead too much, no. but, but people email me in the South Down community and they say, oh, I've got fleeces. Can, come and buy my fleeces. Or I get people who say, oh, I've got Hampshire's. They're really similar to South Downs. Come and buy <laughs> yeah. them. And I have to explain to people every time, it's like, I don't just buy from people I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, the whole thing is about the single flock. I need yeah. to come and meet you. I need to find out about your ethos. I need to understand your relationship with your flock. I want to be able to tell your story. Yeah. Single breed, single flock is, is still a new concept to a lot of people who have only ever given to the rule board and yes. don't know what happens to afterwards. I kind of know that it'll be mixed and made into, you know, a yarn, but yes. don't know. So that's, an, yeah, again, it's another learning opportunity, it isn't is. it, for people to sort of... It is, and also I think, you know, people who genuinely understand the kind of connection between the raw material and a yarn, they want to know that story. I wanted to know yes. that story, and I thought, if I'm... I can't be the only person that wants to know where my wool's come from, and... And there's so much history in a flock. A flock isn't just, as we've said, yeah. a flock just isn't static. It's not one one thing. No. And it's dependent on so many things, but we'll come to yes, that. Yes, yes. Let's talk about the breed then a little bit. And what is it that's special? Did you go, what's local to me? Oh, South Down, that's the one for me. And uh, Or was it, is there something that's particularly special about this breed? Well... I'm biased, obviously. So I, but but I suppose my main impetus was always that it was my local breed. Yeah. But also not just it was my local breed, but it was there in the fields, but nowhere in a yarn shop, yeah. anywhere. No one wanted to talk to me about it. People laughed at me. People said, "What are you talking about?" You know. So you can't. It, all of those things kind of made me think. Well, what is it? And it wasn't really until. I was at kind of the next stage that I started to really think about the qualities and the characteristics yeah, of that. To start with, it was just yeah, like, well, I can't I ask, did you know much about the qualities or the, or the history of the flock, the breed, sorry, before? Well, I, only what I'd read. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what I'd read was that it had been really prized um, uh, in, in the late 18th century and early 19th century and that it had tailed off. And I, I had this wonderful book um, written in the 30s, which had said that it had been used in some of the finest tweeds, that it was used in hosiery. And I kept thinking, well, how can we... It's not that long ago. Yes. How has it fallen off the map completely? So I read about, you know, the, I read my fleece and fibre source book and... The Bible. <laughs> yeah, the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and everything that I read was telling me that it was this fantastic, fine, yeah. well-crimped, springy lovely creamy white wool you know great what's wrong with that why why is why so why can't I find it yeah so I knew about it from a sort of I suppose more of an academic sense I had yet to get my hands on any other than actually on a sheep at a show um and the 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 the, the blackable 
This is the blacker stretch. one. Oh, now I have I have knit with this blacker as well. You have, yeah. Um, it's a, I mean, they don't do it anymore. No. I did a little eye of partridge swatch. You know oh, the heel yeah. thing. And what? It's just lovely. It yeah. just it's just bouncy. It yeah. just keeps its shape when you block it. It looks fantastic every time you wash it and block it. It doesn't fail. Not that I've seen no, it felt. I no, don't know no. what you're... It's just... No, no. It's just I mean, amazing. I dye bath, it's and really resilient. The first time I ever cast on with it, I just could feel the creaminess. I think this is possibly why a lot of people go, British wool, isn't that itchy, isn't that... Because if it's not a breed you're familiar with, there's somehow something that makes you think, well, I've not heard of it, so it must be inferior Absolutely. somehow. And I can... I just couldn't believe how plump and creamy it was to knit with and how beautiful it was. And it, that's gorgeous. And it's it's just dense. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's plumptious. It's a lovely... When you squeeze that in your hand, it, it wants to expand <laughs> right back into it again. I it's like a little chubby self. It, it is. It is very... You put a couple of legs on that. <laughs> and a little teddy bear face. You know, that's exactly what it's like. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I think you're right, though, about perception. And I think the problem is that the old adage about somebody says something, somebody repeats it, and suddenly it's gospel Mm -hmm. truth. And so suddenly people, I think, they perceive that it wasn't being used because it was no good. Mm -hmm. But we'll get on to why we can't find any later, because I know you want to ask me about that. Yeah. Where were we? Characteristics. Yeah, so so that was the first stage, just reading about it. Then I, um, so then David called me and I um, went to meet his flock and I got to um, see his flock and, you know, have a good, get my hands in the back of the fleece. And then he had some fleeces from the year before, so we got into the barn and we were looking through that. And so um, we got to the point where I knew I wanted to create a yarn. I knew that um, if I, I, I knew that if I asked hand spinners to do it, uh, I couldn't afford to pay them a living wage. And therefore, if I did do that, it would make the final unit price way too expensive and no one would buy it anyway. And having that, those, those strong feelings about value from the get-go... Oh, I was adamant. I, yeah, really, that's, that's I wanted awesome. to be able to say to everybody, this is what we pay the shepherds, this is... <sighs> You know, there isn't much margin. No. There, well, there isn't any margin if you're a middle person like me. Maybe people who do it straight from their farm. But that's yeah. Not, that's, and that's not why I did it. But but it was important that everybody got paid properly. Yes. Hoorah and, yeah. for that. That's awesome. But also, I think there was the issue... Um, that was my primary issue. But there was also the issue that I'd spoken to hand spinners. And whilst they were interested in trying out South Down. Nobody, I don't think, would have wanted to have committed to spinning a large quantity of no. it. Nobody does that for fun, I don't think. And so, and still you're talking about agricultural show platforms yeah. rather than anything... A bit more commercial. Yeah. And, and, and whilst I know I'm only a micro, probably nano producer in the grand scheme of things, uh, I knew that I wanted to produce more yarn than probably one or two hand spinners could yeah. possibly do. And also, I didn't want it to be too artisanal. Not that anything artisanal is inferior. That's not what I mean. No. It's just that I wanted to, I wanted to see whether I could make it slightly more commercial. And so I knew I had to use a mill. But I didn't know. I was. I mean, at this point, I was just completely naive. 
about all of the things that then happen at that point in the processing. Yeah. So when we talk about you know the value of wool, we forget, don't we, about yeah. all of those processes. And it was interesting to hear the talk today about the Norwegian yes. wool and that's what they're doing about the journey as well. That's fascinating. And that's the thing as well, when you get to the stage where you go, I love this wool, I want to do something with, with this wool, there's a flock over there, I'm going to buy that. Then you go to a mill and they say, right, you have to have this minimum amount and this is how much it's going to cost. <laughs> but for a nano business, is a, is a scary prospect as it well. Is. I, I could only find one mill in the south of England and um, that would do wool and spun. I mean, that's the other yeah. issue that we have. So when we talk about um, wool and spun as opposed to worsted spun, I think the other thing that, that many people don't appreciate is that Short stapled fibre in general has become less attractive to people and therefore all of the machinery that is required for shorter stapled fleeces isn't needed as much and so that skill and expertise in itself is diminishing so there are fewer places where we can actually use. There's that, you know, there's this diminishing in general in terms of short stapled processing that's so true i mean i, I mean we always talk about the fact that you know the uk could do with more mills people speak about mini mills mini mills are very much set up for semi-worsted or worsted processing and cannot cope with short staple fibers the loss is 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 huge yeah. and you would just lose everything yeah. that you put into that so that was that was a problem as well, really. And so when I finally found a mill that would actually do it, um, obviously I had a conversation, well, several conversations with them over the telephone about what I wanted to achieve. And I also wanted to achieve something that wasn't quite as dense as this mm-hmm. beautiful little thing because I did want to produce something slightly different. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted was something that was slightly less bulky, but more airy. Loft. Yeah, more loft. Yes, that's exactly the word. Thank you. And um, so we had various conversations. And basically, after sort of various toing and froing, we all came to the conclusion that I was just going to have to take some fleeces down and see what happened. Try, have a go. Yeah, have a go. So I staked all my savings and took out a small loan. I hired a really dodgy van. (laughs) And uh, we drove down to Cornwall. And um, I can always remember David. He said, oh, we're all thinking about that little van with all our hopes and dreams in the back of it. And I nearly cried. (laughs) That's incredible. I mean, because for him, I mean, so how big was his flock? Well, you can't ask that, David. Okay, okay. Because David doesn't like to cull sheep. Uh, approximately. <laughs> <laughs> well, it grows year on year. Okay. But um, he has he has probably about 100. But obviously I didn't take all of his fleeces no. because I tried... Even though I was inexperienced, I was trying to pick out the ones that I thought looked like the longest staple and didn't yeah. have too much dag. I mean, I learned so much in that first batch things that were probably really obvious to people who do it all the time but you know no one guides you you have to learn by your own mistakes don't you you do and then he obviously sounds like a chap who is like loved the breed knew that there was a value in that wool wasn't quite sure you know but again those connections so i can i can (laughs) totally imagine that all those hopes and dreams in the back of that dodgy little van (laughs) and it was great fun taking it down there and and so it was important to me as well 
the reason we took them down there rather than just sent them down there was because I wanted to meet the people. You know, again, it's about those relationships. It's all about relationships. It it's about it, the care. And you can then tell that journey. Yeah. You can say, this is exactly what happens. Yeah, I, I saw it with what, my own yeah, eyes. I know what happens. Yeah. So, so that was kind of how it started and how I learned. And then we got, got it back and um, it was fantastic. And then I thought, well, not everybody wants creamy white wool. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with that. So we started dyeing it, and it seemed to be really resistant to felting. So yeah. it was great. So, you know, I do a little bit of both. You can have it undyed or dyed. Yeah. So after that, I started working with the Nepcote flock. And so I can't afford to do a flock a year. It doesn't work like that. I have to wait until I've sold most of it, mm -hmm. and then I can... So that's quite difficult in terms of planning because obviously you can't just phone up the mill and say, oh, I've got this year's fleeces, Can how long till I get them back? It doesn't work like no. that. And, um, and not only that, um, sometimes you go to the shearing and actually it, there's not enough really for you to take Yeah. because perhaps some of them aren't as great that year. Yeah, or they've been shorn on sawdust or they, you know... it's One of them say, had maggots. It's oh, like, oh no, so, yeah. so now who's got that? Uh, let me just go back through those pieces. <laughs> but that's, that's the other thing as well. You know, I'm always so pleased when we... When in you know in the British world, world, someone comes out and goes, it's a, a limited edition. It's this flock, and we might not get it another year. And then you get that lovely thing where people go, well, I need it, I want it, and it's actually making people understand that there's actually more going on here. It's not just a uh, I create yarn, here you go, here you go, update, 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 update. There's a lot more that has to be taken into consideration, and it's, and it's you know so many dedicated rural people it's not the main thing that they do they have other things that they do other jobs sometimes especially if you're doing it from a farm up basis oh, yeah. then you know there's there's other and, and that's the kind of thing that i often go yeah i know you want it it's wonderful that you want it let's take a step but, back but take a step back and actually think about what's going on here it's not a marketing ploy it's not a market it's not to make you slaver you know waiting on that mailing list to find out when the next batch of whatever is going to yeah. come out for, for those people to be able to get that product yeah there's a lot that goes into that it's not just wool being grown and the yarn being spun no. there's a lot that goes into that and i remember listening to your interview with us wool and um i remember really um really being heartened by the fact that I wasn't the only one that was having to talk to shepherds about the care that they needed to take with their fleeces. I mean, spraying is a nightmare. And everyone says, oh, but it washes out. And I say, yes, but the mill will just discard it. Yes. Because it, w it won't wash out. And even if it does, they can't risk contaminating a batch. So anything we spray on, I'm not going to have. So if you want to be Banksy on your flock... <coughs> Don't find me. <laughs> but this and this is the thing again. It's the these connections and and how you can strengthen those connections by learning from one another. Yeah. And you hear this a lot, a lot of time. Dermot Cummins was just talking about this as well. That with S Twist, he yeah. wants to work with um, Jacobs and Galway farmers so that his 
fleece doesn't come back covered in sawdust or sprayed or and again it's well what you what I will be able to give you, you for that absolutely, fleece yeah. will then be more because of how it's kept. Nobody's expecting them to place them on a velvet pillow until they have to be short. Aww. But you know, again it's these it's the the process and the journey for everybody involved. Yeah, is, it'd be a big lear- learning curve. And I guess that for me I think the amount of spray on a sheep is is often a really good indicator of how little uh, a shepherd sees in the value of the clip because people have been conditioned to see it as of low value. And I suppose that the really sad thing is that so many so many shepherds have for generations seen no value yeah. in their clip. David was um, using his for manure. Mm-hmm. Um, and burning some yeah. because he had quite a lot, and the Nepcote flock. I mean, they were they're a cooperative and they're an amazing a bunch of people as well. Um, but they were giving it to their local gardening club, slug repellent, yeah, yeah. all of those yeah. things, which is great that they're useful products. But I think that there's more value in wool that can be used for garments, and and you know that's something that we have lost. Yeah. I don't want to be nostalgic about things because I'm all about looking forward. But we, we, we have lost a sense of you know what different properties and characteristics of wool can be used yeah. for in terms of different garments. Yeah. And, um, that's, and that's a shame. Yeah, you're right. And that's the thing about trying to claw that back a little bit because, as you say, safe down has been used for hosiery, tweeds, cloths. You know, it's something that has been well used yeah. in the past. Yeah. And we think about about the properties of those items that were made, you know, yeah, uh, to be to be warm, to be long wearing, hard wearing. And it's about trying to, to, to get people to rediscover that. Yeah, absolutely. Why isn't there more of this? And that's possibly a good introduction. Place, introduction to why. Because I know that our wool explorers you know, this month have found it difficult to yeah, find. Yeah. Um, so there's World of Wool. Um, you know, they have Seth Down. I don't know where, that, you know, where that's necessarily from. Um, and there's, you know, little bits and pieces here and there, fibre here and there. But there's nothing commercial, mm-hmm. apart from apart from your good self. <laughs> flying, <laughs> flying the flag for South um, I think at one point there was Bedfordshire, yes. Bedfordshire yeah, yeah. yarn company, and they seem to have yeah drifted off. Drifted off. I think they're doing other things, um, but I'm not sure. Well, I mean, it's such an important issue, um, not just for Southdown community, but as we're talking about the Southdown community, obviously that's what I know about, and it is and can be a difficult conversation to have. The answer's complicated. And I suppose if you can bear with me, yes, I, we can. <laughs> I'll try and distill what I, I feel I've discovered as I've gone through this journey, which hopefully isn't over yet. But no. um, So just over 30 years ago in 1987, the South Down was added to the Rare Breeds Survival Trust watch list. Um, basically, that means that the breeding news had dropped um, to below 1,500 across the UK. And that drop, I think really reflects the demise that had been happening for some time in the general esteem of the Southdown as a breed. Um, That was in part a consequence of the impact of changing consumer tastes, not just in terms of the wool, but also in terms of the meat. Mm -hmm. So the the meat tends to run to fat and people wanted leaner meat. 
Um, imported lamb was also cheaper. And um, in terms of wool, world wool prices never really recovered after the war, yeah. um, which we all know about. We had a rise in acrylic and synthetic fibres. And I think the shorter staple fleeces, you know, we talked about how it was perceived as being inferior. And I think that perception started and just carried on. Yeah. So really from... As long ago, I think, as the 1890s, really shortly after its immediate heyday, the Southdown wool started to diminish in people's estimation. And so shepherds started to put all of their effort into meat production. Mm -hmm. So they did that to help a growing population, and then they did it as part of the war effort. And then they saw wool prices disintegrate. And so we can't blame them for putting more effort into the meat than the no, wool. No, definitely not. And it's a huge part. And so, and I have a lot of conversations with shepherds who say, if the market doesn't value our wool, why should we? So it's difficult because it's kind of circular, mm-hmm. and, but I understand that. And then that leads, as we said earlier, to this kind of decrease in the processing, a decrease in people's understanding of what the qualities of a short-stapled fibre is. And so although the South Downs are no longer on the watch list, processing yarn is not cheap, as we've said. Mm -hmm. And if you're a farmer or a shepherd with a South Down flock, generally speaking, you've probably not got big a big flock you know most mm-hmm. most people in the south down community certainly in sussex and hampshire have got relatively small flocks um by the time you've paid for the postage and the carriage down to the mill you've paid the mill you know you're looking at a long time to recoup your money and most people don't have that spare cash available to invest anyway mm-hmm. it's taken me seven years to pay off the original loan and savings that I paid and most farmers can't wait that long no. for a uh, return on their investment you know I was lucky because it was something I was doing in my spare time and I still have a full-time job but you know people you know we have to value a product and, and part of me you know the the um, the antagonist in me says maybe we should let it fail because if we can't value it it well, what, you, know, it's you can't hard. expect people to do it for nothing. No, you can't expect people to do it for nothing. And it's hard to try and make people see when it's so entrenched yeah. that it's the wool is a byproduct, the meat is the most important thing. Yeah. Or And even now, that's, yeah. that's changed. You know, consumer tastes are changing all the time, aren't they? They are, they are. What about the... You touched on this already about, about the importance of single flock. Yeah. And so, so it's three different flocks, isn't it? That yeah. You, you... So far. Yeah. I so mean, far. so far. The empire is building. <laughs> if this is an empire, I'm like, <laughs> we've got trouble. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know that I necessarily started out with an idea that I was going to work with different flocks. I think I, I had in mind that I might do the same flock and do it over different years. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously it's not just flock to flock changes we know that you know sheep to sheep flock to flock year to year yeah absolutely all of these things happen but um i was absolutely adamant that i wanted to produce a single flock yarn and if i can go back to perhaps why Mm -hmm. to start with and then maybe i might even have an answer for you at the end of it but when i discovered the flock books um 
I realised that they're like Ancestry.com yeah. for sheep and shepherds. And in their own way, they tell us so much about the history of that breed. So that's why it was important for me to start with. It wasn't just about um, different characteristics, yeah. even though I kind of knew that was going to change. Yeah. I don't know why anyone would expect a fleece or a, a yarn to, to be, be the same, same from year to year. They don't expect cheese to be the same. They don't expect wine to be the same. And people working with wood you know, would say to you, well, I look for the right tree, I look for uh, a certain grain, you know, some years are better than others. We, we have to understand that it's a natural product, it varies with its landscape, and to understand the story of any wool product, you need to look at all of those things in harmony, don't we? Yes. And, and when I think about place-based yarn... I, and I pick up our wool, I can see and I can feel the chalk paths and all its matte and creamy wallness. And I can imagine the sheep and the shepherds, you know, walking those paths now as they have done for generations. But in terms of, you know, the raw materials, I, I'm reading this book called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I think I've said her name right. She has this conversation with a basket maker called John Pigeon, and he says, just think of the tree and all its hard work before you start making your basket. It gave its life for that basket, and so now it's your responsibility to make something beautiful in return. Now, I can't guarantee I'm going to make something beautiful with my yarn every time I cast on, but I like to think of this product, this one-time-only piece of growth, um, you know, even though the mill has its own specifications and they set their machines, it will never really be 100% the same. Um, and then you're going to cast on and make something in your own hands. And that will be different from if somebody else makes it because your tension and your gauge will be your own. Yes, unique. We need to value that more, don't we? That's that. You're, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> And, and it's something that I, you know, I've been called cheerfully evangelical about. Um, and, and, and it is very strange that, you know, that still people will say, oh, I tried Jacobs once and I don't, I, I didn't agree with me. Or I tried that brand of Shetland once and I'll never try it again. You're like, actually, think, just think about this a little bit wider. Think towards the animal. Think toward. Think no. Actually, think to where it, where it was dyed with. Perhaps think yeah. about where it was processed. How was it processed? processed yeah. then where did that come? Yeah. Keep going back a little bit. It's the same thing with yeah. that tree. It's okay. The sheep hasn't given its life. No. That <laughs> but it's given but it's a year's worth of growth. Its, yeah, it's given a year's worth of growth. And the shepherds care. You and know, the shepherds care. Tend every day, the they tend of work that's gone into looking after that yeah. animal, even if the shepherd hasn't thought of the value that we would place on that wool or yeah. the potential value that someone would place on, yeah. the, on that finished yarn. That, you know, it's the work that goes into that and the, and the process and the journey that that goes on yeah. is, is something that mo- lots of people get, but actually it's something to think on harder, actually. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, as much as I've talked about how I've squished that yarn, <laughs> I do say never never just trust it. No. You, can't, you just can't go on that. 
aren't feeling that well you've got to think think about the big think about where it's come from and then think about what it wants to be yeah absolutely you can talk about spirituality or not but it's for that one ball of wool where that has come from and where that will go and how that has changed in its entire life from sheep to what you make is amazing well there's a reason isn't there why we talk about threads and weaving a journey mm-hmm. and a story and the, and the threads that bind us because this is a you know the finished yarn is a journey it's taken a journey to get there mm-hmm. and then you're going to take it on another journey to mm-hmm. finish a garment I mean the history of sheep breeds in the UK is inextricably linked with place mm-hmm. I mean most of our breeds Norfolk, St Kilda, yeah. Shetland, yeah. Hampshire, Norfolk, Southdown. Romney, yeah. yeah they That's all the owe their they, they all owe their quintessential characteristics to the geography where they first became known in their own individual right. And and we know that the shepherds that lived in those environments um, were also responsible for the natural selection and the and the inherited yeah. qualities that they kind of instilled in those breeds. And I can't tell you um, what a, a South Down bred in New Zealand's wool, how it, diff- how di- how it would compare with, with some of mine, but I know it would be different yeah. in the same way that I know that David's wool is completely different from the, dunk- uh, the Nepcote Flox wool, and the Nepcote Flox wool is completely different from the Riding's yeah. Flock wool. I mean, they're just... Give the listeners an idea of how, f- how far apart those actually are. About 10 miles. Yeah. And this is the thing, homogenous, static. You can't, you can't apply these words. They just can't be applied. It's, um, and that's the fascinating thing. And that's why I'm like, you know, again, going back to like, try another Jacobs, try another Shetland. Yeah. You know, try a worsted spun, try this, try that. Yeah. Just give it a go. Don't just talk it down to, that didn't work for me that first time, so I'm never going to try that again. You know, craft is, is something that is deep within you. You know, we're, we all have, the, we're all very different, but we all have this tied connection, this rooted connection to sticks and string. And I think if you, you know, you really do appreciate your materials, yeah. then then you'd and just try it, it a little it bit gives more. You a, it gives it an added dimension, doesn't it? To, it does. to have that sense of, you know, the life within the object, understanding where it's come yeah. from and your, and your connection. You that are then connected to yeah. that place. Exactly. I mean, that's why you know I'm always on about labels that you can see. You know, if it was grown in Yorkshire or grown, give us that information. Let yeah. us know that because you do put yourself in that place, and that's why you know single flock is an incredible thing to know that, and you you know exactly. You can tell that story. You can tell their story. Yeah. You can pass that on, and it what you make becomes this flag that you can fly for those sheep and those shepherds and those people in that place it becomes this marker you know that you can stick in the ground and just go this this belongs here and I'm a part of it now and you know and I think that's the wonderful thing is that you become a part of it you become an active part of it and we use this word journey all the time and it's a bit hackneyed sometimes about the world journey (laughs) but really is a journey it really is um an adventure it is and I think our shepherds and our sheep are doing that journey every day and, and they've been doing it for decades and generations and so many of them have become so disillusioned, I think. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think it's a shame there aren't more opportunities to get all those people together and one of the reasons why I was interested to listen to the talk about 
the Norwegian wool exploration today because I think it is important to sometimes get the people around the table together to appreciate what's required. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I show some of the knitted garments that are on Instagram in some of our wool, I always show them to the shepherds. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're just always amazed. Somebody knitted that with my wool. They just can't believe it. And, it, and then they see that value that we yeah. have on it. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it's a really powerful thing. It's it a is. hugely emotional thing as well yeah. to, to, you know, for them to see that. And again, it's then understanding that the meaning that we place on it. And they know the meaning of what it's taken to get it to that yes. form. And then how it goes on and gets bigger. And it, and it shouldn't still be the case that... But it's only me doing it's it. Only me doing it. <laughs> We you need know, more people so we doing need more, it. And that's always the thing. I talk to, every, talk to so many people in the UK about wool, and it's always, we need more people. We need more people to do more. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, there are people who have gone, like, there are people like yourself who have gone, well, if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. But there are people who go, oh, I don't, I don't know, can I do this? Do I have the wherewithal to do this? But there are so many other people that you can collaborate with and making those connections. Absolutely. You know, it takes a while, it might take a while to get there, but when you make these connections, then big things can happen. They can. Um, but I worry about the future of South Downwell. I genuinely do. Because I can't take... I can't take the amount of South Down wool that's being produced in Sussex, even though that's not a great deal in comparison to, you know, years before... So, you know, there are still farmers and shepherds that I have to turn away and, you know, their clip goes to the British Wool Marketing Board and they'll get their £1.60 a kilo, which won't cover their shearing mm. or the cost of sending it down to Ashford. So, you know, it, 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 it's not necessarily, you know, whilst it's lovely to celebrate South Down Jean, it really isn't about me. It's about the people that I'm working with mm -hmm. and it's about celebrating all of their work and their efforts. And all of those people like David who have relentlessly <laughs> spent their life championing the South Down and getting nowhere, but still doing it, you yeah. know, still going out every day. But what happens, what happens next, you know? Who's and what there? does happen next? What, do you, what would you like to see happen? Well, I suppose I had always hoped that maybe... Um, I would have um, spurred, well not me, but South Saint Jean would have spurred on some additional projects around the place. I mean, don't forget, I only take South Down wool from the South Downs. Mm -hmm. There are South Down flocks all over the world, yeah. all over Britain. So I'm very niche. Um, so there's plenty of opportunity for other people to be doing South Down. And so it was quite a surprise when you put out that plea because mm. I just assumed that Blacker was still doing theirs yeah. and I had still assumed that um, Bedford was still doing theirs. Yeah. So it's a shame to see those people, you know, mm. diminishing as well. If you're out there and you're listening, do something with South Down Wall because yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we might find that, you know, as you said there about, about you know, you don't know what New Zealand South Down is like, maybe we're going to find out this yes. month with the wool expedition. Yeah, we'll if, hope so. If there are, you know, um, other South Downs all over the world that we can sort of, we'll be able to compare. Yeah, absolutely. And find out more about. But and, yeah, it's a case of... And in America, of course, you've yeah. got the baby doll, which yes. some people in the South Down community here say were really the original South Downs. Really? They were, yeah. Well, listen to that, because I have had a few listeners go uh, in the group, is, am I allowed to use baby doll South oh, Down? Am I allowed to? And I'm like, yeah, if it's, if it's yes. you know, if it says that it's 100% that South Down breed, 
you have to use it. It's what's local to you. It's what's available to you. And and again, that's the thing I think some people think does it have to be well, from the South Downs. Let me tell your American listeners that the American South Down Sheep Society formed itself about three years before the British South Down Sheep Society. So if really, you, absolutely. So don't feel bad about using your South Down yeah, wool. That's incredible. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I'm guessing that it's the same over there, that, that it's quite small flocks, probably hobby hobby flocks mostly. Yes, I should imagine so. And of course, obviously, because they're a smaller mm-hmm. sheep, you're going to get less fleece per sheep. Mm-hmm. And of course, the other problem with woolen spun, going back to the technicalities, is that you get a lot of discards. Yeah. So, you know, I get about 50% back. Really? 50%? That is so interesting. Wow. With my lambs, well, I got yeah. 50% back. Um, I think I got about 58% back on the other two flocks. But there's a lot of discard. Yeah. Gosh, that's interesting. Well, that is interesting. Let's talk a little bit, if we can, about dyeing. It sounds like that was a natural progression. Yes. You know, you've got this lovely chalky white wool and you want to dye it. But had you done that before? Was no. that a total learning curve? Was yes. that Yeah. Well, I think I'd done some day course about 10 years ago just for fun with my mum but I'd never really to be honest I I really didn't know what to expect when the sacks came back from the mill and I was just so overjoyed that I actually had something (laughs) (laughs) and then I thought no one's going to want that much creamy white wool (laughs) because it's you know I understand it's it's it takes care and that's the other thing Mm -hmm. that we we, you know, a lot of people don't don't want to have that additional worry with, with, with a with a white shawl. So I just sat and looked at it for quite a long time. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't have a marketing strategy. I I just I just started knitting with it myself. And did you always know you wanted to go natural yeah. dyes? Yeah, because yeah. yeah. that just seemed. I was disillusioned with the kinds of range of wools that I saw in shops. And I wanted something that was more harmonious. I love the idea of plant dyeing. And I love plants. I love gardening. So I guess it was kind of a natural progression. Um, And I love the way that they all work together. Mm -hmm. It's not that you can't have vivid colours. I mean, you know, some of the weld that I've died with is just mad Uh, (laughs) but but there is there is a harmony and um they don't jar and you can put all kinds of colors together and somehow it works and I loved that and I wanted to I wanted to think about how my landscape influenced my own color palette Mm -hmm. and so it kind of just evolved from that really but it is not a business model that scales up (laughs) I just don't need to say that. <laughs> but I think, again, it's this whole, th- that place based. Yes. You know, it's not just the wool, but it's it's the materials you use to dye it with and how you're influenced to dye it. And that adds to that huge, fantastic image of this being a place-based yarn. It's a labour of love. <laughs> and with the exception of indigo... And occasionally some madder that I buy. Everything is um, British and native plant based because that's what that's what motivates me. That's what I'm yeah. interested in, and, um, and and people people do get that. I mean, it's lovely. I get some lovely comments about the colours, and and that's really it's really pleasing. Yeah, it is. And I think that's you know, 
it's clever because I mean there's a lot of people who will have yarn spun for the first time and then they go let's dye it and they all quite often go down the route of the deeply saturated jewel or there's and there's not a lot of in between and, and I think that's that happens quite a lot people yeah. when people are sort of you know have the yarn spun for the first time so I think it's it's fantastic that you've been so inspired to <laughs> I think a bit mad really (laughs) (laughs) sometimes I think that Um, and also again the other thing about that of course is that you know so many things influence the dye bath in the same way that so much influences the the the, the fleece and the growing of fleece you know no two plants are the same you know depending on when you pick them the time of year the time of day um, you know I I had a fantastic harvest of, of Weld one year. I had a terrible harvest the next year, uh, the year after it's mm-hmm. an annual. And, um, and so that, that those kinds of things go. Yeah. It's a constant battle with the squirrels and the walnuts. You know? <laughs> if they get there first, there's no that's brown. It. That's it done. <laughs> that's it for the next for. year. So you can't, you can't rush those things. And yeah. I guess it's all about, you know, it is slow fashion. Na- yes, yeah, slow and natural yeah. product. And, and it can't be hurried. Yeah. Um, Meg, I don't know if you follow Meg, Mrs. M's. Yes. And she talked about slow fashion recently and said, you know, isn't it a shame that it's come to mean just knitting or just crafting means slow fashion? And it's not that yeah, at all. I agree. It's from your from the materials, from the time it takes to grow, yeah. the material for you know all of these things and. Yeah. Slow fashion has sort of become a byword for just crafting. Yes. Um, well, think actually, of the basket. Yes. You know? Yes. Again, the basket. I think, I think about the Sussex truck. You know, there's yes. All of that is slow fashion as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. We, 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 you can go out and buy one, but you have to think about that person's found the right tree. Yeah. They've had to wet it out. They've had to season it. I don't know which way around that goes. I've probably got that wrong, but you know what I mean. You know, yes. All that processing yeah. is done quietly and slowly and thoughtfully and, yes. and in harmony with the grain. You know, it's yes. that kind of motion. I mean, someone was talking about how they like to feel their kind of the rhythm of their knitting. And, and it's the same with most things, I think, yeah. where you're working with a natural product. You almost, I don't want to get too metaphysical, but you have to kind of become... You do and understand so. your material again. It's an under- It's it's deepening that understanding. If you're not just crafting for yeah. sake, and again, it's that other levels of understanding that people might go, oh, and it, it, the learning goes on. Yeah. You know, it's. It, I always think anything to do with wool, anything to do with craft. There's always so much scope to learn. You can learn as much as you can in terms of skills and things like that. If you only ever want to knit and purl, that's awesome. If you, but in terms of material. It's a, it's a constant learning curve. Yeah. It's a constant. And isn't that what isn't that what's so fantastic about yeah. working with natural materials? Yeah. Sort of adding to your arsenal of knowledge yeah. of, of, of an understanding. Do you want to do a compare and contrast with some of our lambs? Yes, I would love to do a compare and contrast. So that's a little that's our lambs ball. Well even just the the lightness of that compared to this you know which is about much of a muchness weight wise but the you can feel that's a heavier ball but you, yeah but you can feel that the Oops. that is incredible and look at the ply that is just beautiful loft 
and does have that bounce back, but not as not as um, enthusiastic no. <laughs> as the blacker one. It's just got a lovely yield. Yes. I can't just, I just roll about in this all day long. I just go and roll about in some yarn. That's incredible. And the colour is incredible as well. So this is shearling fleece, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. That is beautiful. So which is which is this? The ridings flock. It's the ridings flock, yeah. And on your label, it's fantastic. You've got the shepherd and the clip date. That's, that's proper label, mate. <laughs> that's a proper label <laughs> that's beautiful sometimes you can probably have too much but well there's only so much that you can fit in a label but there are two sides yeah that's true that's very true <laughs> that is very true the, the, the blacker one is a big plumpy beautiful is that three ply or four ply I think the blacker is three, three ply. ply and mine is two yeah it's delicate it's beautiful look at that a little lock oh look it's just so light, it floated out of my hand. Look at that crimp, and that—that's got quite a bit of bounce to it, even though it's structure. been in my bag for a little bit. And actually, I think the staple on that's quite long. I mean, this, is, is? this isn't the lamb's what? Oh, wool. Gonna... This is the um, this is the net coat flock stuff, okay. um, which is this one. So that isn't lamb's wool, but um, it's quite similar. Oops. But. Um, but the, but that, I mean, that is like holding, you know... It, you can feel the difference. You can feel the difference. Like, in, you know, at your heart, you know, it's the same, the same breed. You can feel that. But this is... This has more of the creaminess of, of the, yeah. the, the blacker denser. version where, and is denser and the lamb's wool is lighter. And you can, you can feel it in the, the weight in the hand as well. Yeah. slightly... Heavier with the this is the neck yeah. neck one. That is just lovely. And again, colour you know is mm. is different. There's that's a much more creamier. The, that's like the cream on the top of the milk, the lamb's wool one. That's incredible. Just like constantly just chuffed, <laughs> you know, with like <laughs> just go in and look at your yarn and go. I have to say sometimes I do think to myself, why am I doing this? And then other times I, 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 I go in and I see some of the things I've knitted. And I think, oh, yeah, that's all come from just down the road. Isn't that great? I, exactly, to know exactly. And again, it sort of, you know, I, I always find that certain rules can really resonate a physical and emotional reaction to it. And, you know, there is something that sort of, speaks to you you know it, do you it, think that's to do with our relationship as well because yeah. I think that you know I've built a relationship with these people and I know I've shared their fortunes and their disappointments with their flocks you know sometimes oh. they've had good years and bad years and you have this sense of collective responsibility for um the yarn and the wool and the landscape that they they are reared in and somehow you, you just have a connection with somebody that makes it meaningful, yeah. and and that's what's missing with, I guess, highly processed goods where you you miss out where the raw materials are coming from and the people that produce them. And I'm not saying that necessarily they're better or worse, but what's missing is that additional element of connection and feeling. Which I think 
us humans need, don't we? We do. Uh, and, I, and I really do believe that. And I think that is, again, it, um, it's, it's that sort of flying, becoming part of that story, putting yourself into that story and having something at the end of it that you can say, you know, this wool was grown here by this farmer. Uh, you know, it was <laughs> it was clipped in 2017, and I have it was dyed by Louise, <laughs> and I have now knitted this shawl or these gloves or this hat, or even more powerful than that, I have made this as a gift for this person yeah. or that person for whatever reason. Again, it's that you become part of that story. Yeah, you do. And it's a, it's a so so strong. It really is such a strong thing, and, and it's become a purchase decision. Mm. It's okay. influenced purchase. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that, and I think definitely even just in the last couple of years, that's that's peaked again. But it's you know, there's, we've not convinced everybody. No. Yet. Oh my goodness, no. So we need to we, we need to convince <laughs> all the people. <laughs> but uh, you know, there will be there will be people. You know, I've had this issue with we're talking about rare breeds and and um, I, when the rare breed survival trust right, they're dangerous earlier this year then I made the um, sort of paraphrased the the chairman of the rare breed survival trust by saying and if you can find this in meat form eat it if you eat meat eat it because that is one of the best ways to you know get more um, uh, get more behind rare breeds get more people buying it um, you know let's maybe move them off the list that way wool sadly isn't going to be the thing that will get them off the Rare Breed Survival Trust watch list. And I had so many people say, I don't want to think about where that wool's come from when I've knit with it. And I was like, well, I am failing. I'm failing you. (laughs) I feel like saying, don't buy wool. Just, you know, find find another fibre that you can be... Be and I think happy to be ignorant about where it's come why from. Why it's important to understand where your wool comes from because when I go and meet my shepherds and I meet the flocks, I mean the Widings flock, for example, they live five minutes away from the abattoir. They're they're um, the only sheep that go off the farm are their show sheep, um, and they are sheared by people who are. Um, expert shearers it's, it, they, they, they bring their shearers in but they know what they're doing they're not you know cowboys mm-hmm. and you need to understand that animal welfare has to go through all your flocks um, health and lifestyle whether it's from the shearing or the yes. or the veterinary stuff uh, right down to the abattoir and yeah. you know knowing that the abattoirs you know down the road um to me, makes a difference to that animal's life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. David keeps all his sheep until they've got teeth. In you know, <laughs> what's the, what's the expression? He he keeps sheep until they haven't got teeth to chew with. And actually, historically, that is what people did. Yes. You know, we've got so used to seeing a, a, a field of sheep, you know, who are whose only purpose is f- for raising. Yeah. Um, terminal sires mm-hmm, or, or, mm-hmm. or lambs for butchers markets but the reality is historically you know farmers would have kept sheep for wool production totally, until yeah. they basically became too yeah. old and too ill to, yeah. to survive so you know flock compositions changed quite a lot mm-hmm. and, and we have to understand that and also if we we need to be aware of these issues in order to make informed decisions about them so and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about you know how and why and what and and, and it's 
beholden on all of us, isn't yeah. it? To, yeah. to find out and then to make a decision that suits. And I think that's another reason why it's so important to support smaller producers where you know there's that traceability. And I think that's why um, the food industry got on board with that probably before the wool industry did. Yeah. And, and because people did want to know where their meat came from, where their vegetables came from. They wanted to know that it wasn't sprayed with pesticides yep. or um, raised mm-hmm. cruelly. And good for them. And I suppose, you know, you, as consumers, we are perhaps faced with too much choice but there is a choice out there and if you are worried about animal welfare you should ask your you yarn producer ask. and they and and they should all you know most of the time we'll be able to give you chapter and verse Absolutely. on it and if they can't then you need to then that's, walk away yeah exactly and 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 that is the wonderful thing is that when you ask people they're more than usually more than happy Absolutely. to sit down with you and tell you exactly yeah. and and that's what's so fantastic about this community because even if even if shepherds don't really fully realise how much we as crafters how much value we place on wool, they know what they like. They they keep those sheep for a reason. Even if they're good meat meat sheep, they will recognise qualities in yarn which will make them go, oh, but you know this 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 year's fleece was you know the best ever or whatever. They will sit down and talk with you about that yeah. kind of thing. And I think that's the again the wonderful thing and that's how you make those connections yeah. that's how you meet those and a people. good farmer will say come and come come, come over yeah you know Put all your the sh- people yeah. i work with their farm well david is a small holder so he doesn't have a farm he just has his sheep yeah. but he would you know take anybody to go and see them you can go to his shearing susan's farm is open um to the public and the net coat flock it's the same that they're, they're a small cooperative but you can go along to their shearing um, you can go and see them grazing at and the bottom learn. of Sisbury yeah. Ring and they always open up lambing. And, you know, things do go wrong. Um, and we but, shouldn't... And, 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 yeah. But nothing's perfect. No, and that's, again, that's the and realities sheep of... Sheep do like getting stuck in hedges. Yes. As many shepherds <laughs> will tell you, sheep like to try and die. <laughs> and they'll do what they can. <laughs> They're a bit like lemmings sometimes, falling down cattle goods. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're a trial. <laughs> but thank goodness for them. And their wool, where would we be without it? I was thinking of that today when um, when Ingen had, uh, in the Norwegian wool, lecture had the stop it ended with the picture of Pelly. Oh. have you ever read that story i have not probably get put it, it in the show notes i will put it in the show yeah, notes uh, Pelly's new coat i think that's the title um and i you florist uh, books in edinburgh have reprinted it, it. Oh, and others by that author and it's a fantastic little story of a little boy who Needs a, who needs a new coat and his, his little pet sheep needs needs to be shorn I think it was a really profound moment as well because it ends with the little boy giving thanks and I think for me it is about saying thank you to the, the earth that's given the grass yep. to the sheep that's eaten the grass to grow the fleece and the Thanks to the shepherd for going out twice a day, sometimes more than sometimes that when there are more. problems. And, you know, it, it, it's about about thank you yeah. for providing a, a natural resource. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for providing with us with this, <laughs> thank you for this. wonderful material. <laughs> Can't, do you want to say anything about what's coming up 
for South Downs yarns? Is there anything you want to talk about? Any patterns or yarns or anything? Not really. No. I think all I would say is that um, I, I don't have secrets. Well, not ones that I want to share with anybody about wool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose a note on, on, on new things, and I suppose it's a little bit self-deprecating, but I find it difficult being part of the slow fashion movement, movement but also being in the fashion and textile world, which always expects new. And so there's this constant struggle between those two things. And um, if I do anything, it'll just be more of the same. <laughs> but if, Hurrah! Hopefully people will, will enjoy that. Yeah. And, and it takes a long time. So I'm, I, have, um, I have some flocks that I'm talking with. Mm -hmm. And obviously I have the three flocks that I've already worked with. Um, I, I'm not really sure what direction that's going to take me in. Um, my other job demands quite a lot of my time. So mm -hmm. um, there are discussions taking place. So watch this space. Good for people to sort of remember that this is the embodiment of slow uh, and the slow movement. And what you get when you get it is special and traceable. And, mm. you know, that's thanks to you. But we, yes, we need more. more people. More people, please. Yes, please. <laughs> thank you for being such a world champion oh thank you for being a world champion thank you for being the person that's driving driving this at the, at the moment and I'm sure the people who are listening now who are going I'm going to do something with Southdown will we'll approach you like you approach <laughs> David and again these connections will keep on going but yeah. thank you thank you so much for, for making time to talk to me it's, it's lovely <laughs> and we finished off there talking about Pelly's new suit by Elska Besco, which you can get via Floris Books uh, in Edinburgh and online, but I'm sure you can get it from online other online booksellers too, um, which is a really lovely, lovely little story. Um, thanks so much to Louise for making time to sit down and chat with me. It is important to remember that some businesses are just one person doing everything um, or, or, and making all the connections and there's nothing fast about that and there's nothing overproduced about that what you know what Louise was careful to use the word artisanal there but uh, you know it is it is special and you know it's why we should love and covet and and cherish our slow produced yarns all the more and remembering that um, those who are creating them are part of the story too. I should also say before um, before moving on to wool exploration that Louise has given an incredible prize for the Nature of Shades Along. She's given um, a, a whole shawl kit. The Chalky Way shawl which is a design by Arlene uh, Such. Uh, it was designed in Louise's yarn and it makes a beautiful half circle shaped shawl with loads of texture. It's just beautiful and she's given us a kit which is just um, incredible. Six 30 gram skeins uh, for a prize so that's going to be a prize for the Nature Shades Along. That yarn is from the Ridings flock which you heard 
Louise talking about. So thank you so much to Louise for that prize. Now let's let's get cracking with our wool exploration. So I have to say my hat is well and truly tipped to you wonderful explorers because we, we had 10 this month that all got their reviews in by uh, the cutoff date of uh, Monday the 13th. I was a little bit strict with the date this time because because of moving and life stuff and so usually I do give an extension to get your reviews in on the Google form but I just couldn't do that this time so I did see that there was two, two people who popped their reviews up on the Tuesday and um, this is the Tuesday I'm recording so it was just too late um, to add, get added into the um, final collation um, which I did late on Monday evening. So this time we have uh, Thinking Knit Green, Dry Gardening, Silver Spring Knit, Fine Fettle uh, Fibres, Becky P, Pat B, Small Bear, Elfin Petronella, Rebecca 72 Jones and Reynold. And again, my hat's off to you guys for finding Southdown because I know a lot of you had issues. Half of our reviewers are using... South Downs yarn for using the Ridings Flock Sport Weight and one using the Nepcut uh, Flock. We've got Thinking Nick Green was using the discontinued blacker uh, woolen spun South Down, which you heard Louise and I talk about. Uh, Dry Gardening was using a World of Wool Aran, which is interestingly worsted spun. Silver Spring Knit uh, was using a hand spun baby doll South Down which we mentioned as well, um, which I think is has been worsted spun as well. Fine Fettle Fibres was using a hand spun, worsted spun again, and we had Drainold who had worsted spun some Southdown from Canada into Lacewaite. So let's hear what everyone thought of the hand squish grab. Thinking Nick Green said, initial observances, plump, pale, creamy straw colour. Dry Gardening said, "It's dis this is the world of wool, which is an iron. She said, it's described by the manufacturer as an iron weight, worsted spun. It's 100 grams in the hank, approximately 165 metres. Yarn comprised of three strands, plied, forming a cohesive, round form yarn with no natural separation of the plies. The yarn has a barely visible fuzzy and flat matte surface and is a bright, rich cream colour. Hank feels soft, strong, resistant to compression and that it springs back to the hand squish. Silver Spring Knit, using her baby doll Seth Down hand spun that she got on Etsy, she says, this was not a pleasant hand squish grab. The wool felt rough and stringy springy uh, the word i used in the forum was hard honestly if i wasn't committed to this exploration i would have not kept going also the label read 18 wraps per inch which it was not it was more like 13 now this is interesting and thank you very much nora for keeping going for the purposes of exploration uh it's interesting to hear of of the negatives, of course, as well as the positives. Fine Fettle Fibres was using a hand spun from Etsy 
and it was a worsted spun and she said the hand squish grab is crisp and dry and a bit hard on the hands reminds me of the feel of an oiled machine knitting yarn or even linen interesting again i wonder if the worsted spinning is is too tight because it is a short stapled fiber perhaps perhaps that could be an issue i don't know i'm not as adept as a spinner to make that assumption but possibly Becky P uh, she was using the Ridings flock um, which I think all of the Ridings flocks are sport weight I think I shall have to ask Louise for confirmation on that she says the wool is smooth with a slight halo and a small bounce it has a faint cheapy smell it is smooth through the hands and when rubbed on my cheek Pat B uh, also using the Ridings flock, I think. Put Ridings question mark because you don't say which flock. Um, so it might be it might be the Duncton or the Nepcote. I'm not quite sure. I, I sh shall no longer refer to Pat B's knitting with Ridings just because I'm not quite sure. Um, she says crisp and springy in the skein. I thought it would be suitable for accessories or garments. Probably not robust outer garments, though. That's an interesting um, hand squish grab. Thank you, Pat. At Small Bear, she was knitting with Southdown's yarn Nepcote flock. And she said her hand squish grab reminded her of old-fashioned stretchy elastoplast. She said it was a bit unfortunate to her eye. It looked like upholstery foam. I don't know if that's the colour because she's using a dyed shade. Um, and she says, and it looks and feels like acrylic. Um, again, it's good to, always good to hear both sides, uh, all dimensions of exploration. This is what exploration is all about. Getting lots of different opinions and, and uh, making your own purchases opinion based on um, those findings from these. Elfin Petronella is using Southdown's yarn Ridings Flock and she said springy spongy yarn with an almost felted feel and a clotted cream colour. Rebecca 72 Jones also with the Ridings Flock from Southdown's yarns and she says this is an undyed lamb's wool. Uh, the skin feels dry and smooth and squashes easily. I wound it into a ball on my swift and noted a translucent appearance to the wool. Um, it was wound into a tight, firm ball. And she says, when I wind a skein, I like to have a, tr a center pool ball. But that was not very possible because every time the wool pulled from the middle, it split. Um, the yarn is made up of two strands and has a slight halo of short hairs, which may um, help explain the translucent appearance. And the fact that it's short staple uh, and it's wool and spun might make it, uh, you know, slightly more uh, breakable, like some woolen spun yarns are. Uh, so that's really good and really wonderful to hear of that translucent feel. That's lovely. Uh, Drainold was knitting with Southdown yarn from a, a Canadian flock. Um, she hand spun it into worsted lace and has a wonderful picture that I will put up in the show notes. She says, very elastic, locks contracted into compact, dense, sponge-like nurdles uh, resembling a Mr. Clean cleaning sponge. I don't think we have those over here, but thank you for that comparison for our North American listeners. Uh, she says, very curly crimp singles structure, 
Fine weight made the yarn somewhat curly. Fuzz here and there from loose ends. Um, she says, a tiny centre pool ball felt very soft and resilient. Her thoughts for uses would be delicate lace. Uh, the intent is to spin something to replicate the fabric of the storied Southdown stockings presented to Queen Elizabeth I. And Draenald has um, given us links to those those stories and her research into that so I will point to those in the show notes thank you for that observances from swatching then I think in knit green with the blacker south down she said it was thick and rough not limp and drapey um, it had a great sturdy rigidity very spongy and resilient able to withstand wear but perhaps not next to the skin Dry gardening, she says she used 30 grams for, of the, this uh, world of wool iron weight for her swatch. And she said three plied strands nicely held together, clinging to each other with no tendency to split or separate whilst being worked. Plump, roundish yarn moved easily through fingers. Manipulation was easy for cabling uh, and travelling stitches. Displays excellent stitch definition. Has some elasticity, but not cushy soft. Uh, comfortable and pleasant to handle. Uh, and on a continuum, tending towards soft, but sturdy. Uh, after binding off, the swatch felt spongy, springy and durable when compressed. And th that all of those things are what I love about a three-ply yarn. And the blacker double knit was a three-plied yarn as well. And that's what you get. You get that wonderful plumpness, that smoothness in knitting. Even with a yarn that's got a bit of a halo, I, I find a three-plied yarn is lovely and smooth to knit. And you know, I think, from a three-plied yarn that you're going to get um, resilience uh, and longer wearing. Silver Spring Knit with her hand-spun baby doll Southdown from Etsy said the yarn continued to be tough and springy. A friend suggested that it was seriously overspun. Uh, not being a spinner, she says, I can't be sure, but this makes sense. The words that come to mind are tight, elastic and hard, although she says not rough. Um, fine fetal fibres, uh, her observances while swatching, she said that her hand-spun worsted yarn uh, was quite hard on the hands when worked, but smooth and reasonably even with no coarse hairs. She said it did not split or shed. It took textured stitches and cables really well with good stitch definition. Becky P with the South Downs Yarns Riding's Flock said it was nice through the hands, very smooth and nice to work with. Pat B also with South Downs Yarns said good to work with, nice springy. Uh, but substantial, there's that wonderful word again, uh, and she says not at all springy or hairy. Small bear, um, let's see if the nip coat uh, got any better for her when knitting with it. She said it's a bit sticky, it doesn't, oh sorry I beg your pardon, she was crocheting of course, uh, she said it's a bit sticky, it doesn't move smoothly but she says, my hands are admittedly dry. She says it has a little bounce and a lot of elasticity. That sounds like a tick for me. Um, she says, it's hard to explain how, quotes, man-made this feels. It's almost rubbery, but with a harshness in its core. 
it's like what my nana used to um, in the 70s call plastic wool. She says it reminds me of crimpline and if you're if you're too young to remember that, then think yourself lucky. She says, I'm not really liking this at all, but will persist for the sake of the um, exploration. Thank you very much um, to you, uh, small bear, Sheila. I should say, you're never expected to wholly love it. I would like you to love all of the wool that we're exploring. But again, we you know, texture, feel, these things can be very personal and, you know, Sometimes we can, you know, really, really take against a feeling, um, a texture or, or a fabric or some kind of uh, material for, for no, no real reason other than we have a reaction towards it. It's a bit like me and egg boxes. I have a real reaction. I can't touch an egg box. I don't like them. Uh, you know, so there's, there, there are sort of other factors there as well. There are other levels of touch um, that sometimes we can't explain and she says there that it's hard to explain um, but thank you for persevering Sheila uh, Elfin Petronella uh, with her Southdowns yarns she said some grippiness but rips back really well neat plump stitches produces a stretchy fabric that is warm to the touch she thought it was going to be fuzzy for lace but the pattern shows up really well and she says she thinks it would be good for anything next to the skin uh, especially textured patterns that's wonderful thank you very much for that elfin petronella um Rebecca Semstu Jones, she's also uh, knitting with South Downs yarn, the riding's flock. She said, the wool moved pleasantly through my fingers. Despite uh, not being able to do a cent centre pull, the wool only broke once when knitting. That's good to hear. She said, uh, it reminded me of candy floss you, you, you see being pulled at the fair because um, it's quite an airy, airy yarn. Um, she says, no shedding. The stitch definition is good. Drain old with her um, worsted spun lace weight hand spun south down said easy to knit good lace pattern definition did not split very elastic uh, when the when knit quite loosely some stockinette loops distorted due to the coily crimp of the fleece but no biasing. She said stitches sometimes sprung off due to the elasticity. Aluminium, aluminium needles sometimes slipped out of the stitches, but not too uh, grabby when unknitting. Think and Knit Green. Uh, she did her wash, block and wear. She said it was as plump and spongy and resilient after as it was when she cast it off. But she said it's noticeably softer and more supple and feels pleasingly comfortable and warm. Dry gardening. She she soaked hers in a warm water soak for two hours. Water rinse clear. The swatch relaxed. It was easy to block. Excellent stitch, stitch definition. It held its block perfectly. Nice drape. Overall fabric still feels lightly spongy and strong. Matte, light reflective surface enhances stitch definition and shows off the bright, creamy colour. The blocked swatch was approximately eight and a half inches 
weighed by eight inches long and she wore it directly against her chest for a day whilst engaged in regular daily activities. She said it was quite comfortable. I forgot it was there and experienced no prickly sensation. For me, it appears that next to the skin would be fine. And this was the worsted uh, spun wool, world of wool Aaron. And that is my, also largely my experience as you heard me talk about the South Down um, you know how how well it keeps its block and um, just how fantastic and, and spongy and strong that fabric is Silver Spring Knit with her hand spun Etsy baby doll safe down she said the first wash was in soak and then I laid it out to dry um, she'd knit socks so she said they held their shape but did not um, soften much she said it took three days for them to dry wow she said i wore it for one very hot day and again and she says if not for the exploration i would have changed socks they were very warm but a bit too thick for her liking oh the lengths that you explorers go to thank you very much judith fine fetal fibers she had her swatch had a thorough wash in warm water and roulite and she said it was a vast improvement. It was softer and much more pleasant to handle. And she says, very mucky water. It bloomed a bit with slight loss of stitch definition, but not problematically so. It blocked well, and when it was dry, it was soft and warm to wear at her shoulder and her hip. She was not keen on having it at her neck, but nothing unusual for her there, she says, because that's a sensitive area. It's had the same vintage look and feel to the Dorset beads we did last month. I, I would concur there with the South Down, I would say so. Uh, Becky P, she soaked her swatch in Usulan for 30 minutes and blocked to 17.5 centimetres square as per the Berlin pattern. Uh, she said it softened slightly. Uh, it was worn at her hip on a hot day, held its shape well and was warm, but not too warm. That's good to know of the South Downs yarns, warm, but not too warm. Pat B, also with the South Downs yarn, said she soaked her swatch in Usland for an hour, no rinse, eased shape and not pinned. Post-block measurements increased by only a quarter of an inch each way developed a very slight halo and a slightly felted look but this has definitely not felted uh, she wore it under her bra strap for most of the day she said thank goodness the weather had cooled down a bit and totally forgot it was there uh, at times she said it felt warm and cozy but did not irritate at all small bear with the nip coat flock she swatched her crochet no, she soaked her crochet swatch in Yusalan for 35 minutes. She squeezed it dry and pinned it out. She said, wet, it feels like man-made foam, uh, like the stuff you use to get in a cushion. She said it blocks very, very easily to 8.5 inches and it would go to 9 with no trouble, she says. Uh, worn under bra strap all day, but she says it still feels like acrylic. No pilling or fluffing or no halo to speak of. Stitch definition is very good and no itch. Sorry, I went really high pitched there. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Elfin Petronella with her Seth Down Downs Yarns swatch soaked hers in cold water for 30 minutes and then dried on the line. The swatch dried to a trapezoid shape. 
uh, where the slip stitch pattern had pulled the fabric in. She says the wool retained a felted feel, but the stitches were not felted. They were well-defined, very stretchy fabric, which did not return to original shape without the help of, of blocking. She said she wore it for two hours at her waistband and forgot it was there. Some of the stitches had blurred slightly from the pressure uh, and the swatch had stretched. Rebecca 72 Jones was also using the same yarn from South Downs Yarn and she said we were on holiday so I left mine soaking overnight in cold water and squeezed it in a towel. It dried quickly and went to work with me. My colleague commented that this uh, is delicate and I would agree. The finished swatch feels dry between my fingers on touching it and I keep remembering my grand's cardigan that I didn't like as a child which was likely knit in acrylic. So it has an acrylic feel to it, but it is soft. I wore it under my bra at work, only noticing it when I saw it in the mirror and it was poking out under my collar. Not sure what my patients must have thought. Uh, it was slightly warming with no prickle. Drain Olds, uh, worsted spun lace weight swatch. She said it prickled a bit. But then she was unaware of the swatch. It held its shape whilst wearing. The yarn bloomed slightly. Distortions in the swatch disappeared. Lace pretty well defined. Didn't bias. Fabric now cushy if compressed. Washed uh, hosiery would be warmer than just knit if, if Jane Old is going to continue with her stocking um, exploration in South Downs. So what about the second wash block and wear? Well... Uh, thinking Nick Green said uh, after a second wash it lost none of its supple, spongy, resilient qualities and was even softer after the first wash. Dry gardening, of course, tossed hers in a load of laundry, top loading machine, usual detergent, 19 minutes agitation hot water wash, two cold water rinses and tumble dried for an hour and a half, no heat. The shrinkage was approximately 7 decreased in width and 20 uh, in length. She said stitch definition still excellent but somewhat blurred. Fabric denser after shrinking but feels spongy and springy when compressed. Minimal tight fuzziness at the surface suggests yarn has a great resistance to abrasion. Matte surface and creamy colour still bright and attractive. Wear two identical conditions and circumstances to test one and she's ends that by saying comfy and uh, I will put up pictures of dry gardening's different swatches through each wash block and wear because it's always interesting to see the how the swatch changes uh, Silver Spring Knit Nora said the second wash was on a delicate cycle of a top loading machine she says US machines generally do not have a wool setting on them like ours do she says sock held up fine. I air dried it on a drying rack and it only took one day to dry. Felt slightly softer and wore it again for part of a hot day, but still finding it too thick to be really pleasant. Fine Fetal Fibres said this time it, the swatch got a good agitation in soak and lukewarm water and then soaked for another while. Came out much the same, but possibly um, more blooming, no pilling, no feeling, um, no felting or loss of size. She put it on her shoulder and forgot it was there for several hours. 
Becky P, she soaked her swatch in Eucelan for 30 minutes and the swatch was softer again. She said the size of the blocked swatch is now uh, 16 centimetres square rather than 17.5. Uh, and wear test two, she wore it on her hip uh, for another hot day and it held its shape well and it didn't need to be reblocked afterwards. She says the pattern looked crisp and stitch definition was good. Pat B repeated the Eucelan soak but left it for 20 minutes this time. Uh, again, eased it into shape with no pinning. Same measurements uh, and she wore it for most of the day inside her waistband and was quite unaware of it. There was no irritation at all. Hello, Jeremy Jean. Uh, Small Bear, she did a 20 minute soak in Eucelan and then in the washing machine, on a rinse and spin cycle. She said no change from above. She experimented with the blocking and she said it would actually go to 11.5 inches, whereas before it was eight. Elephant Petronella, uh, for her second wash block and wear, she said 30 minutes in Eucelan and warm water, pin square to block, stitch definition completely restored. Uh, she wore it at the waist for three hours and then moved it to her shoulder and forgot about it for a further four hours while she did housework. Uh, she scuffed up the swatch a bit and there was some shedding, but no pilling. The swatch was, again, very stretchy, but seemed to pull back into shape more easily after the second wash block and wear. Again, showing that our yarn evolves. It doesn't always stay the same. Rebecca, 72 Jones, uh, popped her swatch in the machine on the wool cycle at 30 with a little soak. The swatch retained its shape in the machine and came out uh, bigger. It softened after the second wash and is less stiff. There is a slight halo from the short hairs. Uh, ooh, I can't read tiny font it has a pleasant flowing drape and a slight luster and quite stretchy and springs back into shape fairly well but i think with time a garment might lose shape and become baggy it has sat about in the kitchen for a few weeks and has been handled and rubbed and there is no pilling uh, uh, but it is delicate and she says she doesn't think it would stand up to too much more um Drainold has said that her hand spun worsted lace swatch bloomed a bit more on the second wash the corners uh, dog-eared and the lace is a bit less distinct there uh, it, it took a fairly aggressive blocking though and that has showcased the lace and increased the dimensions of the swatch by a quarter inch each way she says there are no pills it is still cushy stable dimensionally and has more and would have more durability if this was a two-plied yarn and we had two intrepid explorers who did a third wash block and wear. Dry gardening, again, tossed swatch in with a load of laundry with the same process as mentioned before. Overall shrinkage, almost 3.48% decrease width and 79 decrease length. Uh, percent she says stitch definition is still very good with a bit more blurring and tightening fabric is slightly denser but the swatch is still pliable shrinkage overall was less than the first machine wash and dry she says the surface shows a bit more tight fuzziness 
uh, matte bright surface and colour remain. Third wear, worn all day against chest and still comfy. Silver Spring Knit Nora, she says, uh, with her hand-spun baby doll, Seth Den, had become problematic from the get-go, I think. She said, finally threw in the regular wash cycle, no felting, held its size, maybe a tiny bit softer, but still not a joy. We'll not be wearing again soon, but we'll hang on to them for the winter. That's really good to know and, and good to, you know, that you thought maybe a third wash might have helped them along a bit. So I asked everybody what their thoughts for use were um, of Southdown yarn and uh, thinking that Green said this fabric would be suitable to wear next to the skin for hats, mitts, worm slippers or perhaps a big jumper over a thin cotton shirt. She went on to say, my large swatch is now a cat rug, a spongy, breathable bed exuding warmth that will hold up to many comforting cat naps. And I've got a picture um, on the show notes to, sh- to show you that, uh, how it's being utilised by her cats. Uh, Dry Gardening said, appears to be well suited to cabling and travelling stitches. Excellent stitch definition is a real plus to show off textured patterns generally. I believe it would make splendid, durable garments. I would expect garments made from this yarn to retain texture definition over use of its life. Comfy next to the skin, in my opinion, but probably not first choice for next to the skin baby items. Um, But outer sweater vests for baby would be fine. She said, this is a wonderful world of wool yarn and she highly recommends. That's lovely. Thank you very much, Dry Gardening. Silver Spring Knit says, so clearly there are issues with this particular yarn. I can't speak of it as a sample to the breed since many of the comments in the Ravelry forum are so different. That being said, it's super warm. So a different and better spin would make great outerwear. And Nora, I hope you get the chance to try um, some of the South Downs yarns or some of the other um, South Down yarns we spoke about here today perhaps take dry gardening up on that recommendation of World of Wool and she says you know of the, even getting things wrong like the wraps per inch was disappointing that you know on the label it said 18 but she found it to be 13 um, so yes clear labelling guys clear labelling Fine Fettle Fibres said, after an unpromising start, this has proven to be another winner for me. I would be happily, I would happily make a jumper or a cardigan with this uh, or use it for homeware items. I might make a hat or gloves, but not a scarf because of her sensitive neck. Uh, And she says, this is definitely not just a carpet yarn. Hallelujah. Uh, She also said, very hard to get hold of. Why? I think there's maybe a better picture of why after listening to um, Louise chat about, talk about her experiences. Becky P, she enjoyed working with this wool and would happily work with it again. The label is great. This is the South Downs uh, Ridings Flock. Very informative. She said, I'd like to make wrist warmers, a cowl or a jumper in this yarn. Pat B, also using South Downs yarns i would be happy to knit a cardigan in this i quite like the slightly fuzzy felted appearance after it was washed and was reassured that it did not change at all after the second wash i it would be good for children's garments if people were happy to hand wash and that's uh the difference between um 
the worsted spun aran, which dry gardening didn't recommend, to this very airy, airy, woolen spun translucent, as someone else described it, um, from South Downs Yarns. Small Bear with her nip coat flock. Well, sadly, Sheila was not to be convinced after washing, blocking and wearing twice. She says, I'm unlikely to use this again. Um, unappealing foam-like consistency and she was not a fan of the colour, uh, which was a natural dyed shade. Um, Elephant Petronella says, I, th I think Southdown would reward a thoughtful choice of stitch pattern and careful blocking. I'm thinking of a beautiful textured shawl like Andrea Maori's Hoarfrost. Oh, I just deleted everything. Wait a minute. <laughs> Whoops. Cleared the whole spreadsheet there. Uh, Rebecca72 Jones said, Her finished swatch in the South Downs yarns ridings flock was delicate and warming with a nice drape and she thinks it would suit a summer cardigan or a delicate scarf. Drainold, with her handspun single lace weight, said... She could imagine arthritis, wrist warmers, fingerless gloves, neck warmers, uh, luxury light winter hose. Or, she says, with a smiley and underlayer for Queen Elizabeth I. <laughs> you know, I haven't done the usual, you know, reading from the Fleece and Fibre source book and things like that this time. I, I always urge you to go and have a look at those books and those sources anyway and find out a bit more for yourself but I think it was really important today to do this sort of deep dive and have Louise talk to us about South Down and about the wool and about her experience of the wool and now we've talked about your experience of the wool and it's been a yarn and a breed that has for many of you you've looked at it and gone, this is mm, unconvincing, I'm not sure of this. And for most of you have gone, hmm, you know, that's that's changed or um, it's softened or it's, you know, not shed, not split, not pilled. Um, and again, I, I go back and agree with, I think it might have been Fine Feather Fibres who said that it reminded her of the Dorset beads from from last month in that um, it reminds us, us of of vintage sweaters and things like that and I would definitely agree and you know uphold everything I said when I was speaking to Louise about the Southdown fabric and how fantastically dense and and just it's just you know that swatch that I have or swatches I should say you know they've really really stood up well and I don't ever need to pin them out really they they do what they do interesting that some people are finding it a little too elastic but again We'll only know more if we keep on washing, blocking and wearing. And, you know, this would be a good one for us to re-explore maybe a year from now. That's a great idea for some of our swatches, I think, to go back and do a third or a fourth or a fifth wash, block and wear. Um, and, you know, t report back on how it's changed from the first two. This has been a long episode and thank you very much for staying with us. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much to Think and Knit Green, Dry Gardening, Silver Spring Knit, Fine Feather Fibres, Becky P, Pat B, Small Bear, Elfin Petronella, Rebecca 72 Jones, Drainold, everyone who chatted and you know who offered your own thoughts in the group and to those of you who are still exploring this breed. 
So do go over and check out the Wool Exploration threads in the Knit British Ravelry group. And thank you very much to everybody who takes part in the chat and the reviewing and the supporting and the sharing over there. That is it from me. Uh, and that is it from the podcast until October. I am taking a break from the podcast and also from the blog. And there will be no reviewing or anything, I don't think, between now and the podcast returning in October. I there, not, That is not to say I'll be resting on my laurels because there is a lot happening. Uh, lots for future episodes. And um, I'm also going to the... North Atlantic Native Sheep and Wool Conference, so I will be reporting back on that. But until then, I will enjoy my break as much as possible with house moves and travelling and everything else uh, factored in. And I hope that you, my dear listeners, uh, also have a good couple of months and we will catch up and reconvene very soon. Uh, Take care. Bye for now.